you are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Pharisees. Hello my radio friends. I'm so glad you've chosen to join me today for another Give Me the Bible program. Today we will be considering one of the great miracles of Jesus and drawing some very challenging thoughts from it. Jesus' friend, Lazarus, had died. Now, Lazarus lived in the town of Bethany, only a few kilometres from Jerusalem. With him there lived also his two sisters, Martha and Mary. It appears that this family opened their home to Jesus, and at times when he needed a break from the ever-present crowds, Jesus would go to the home of these kind people and stay a while. It appears that Mary may have been involved in some practices that severely troubled her conscience. Some have suggested that she had been a prostitute. The Bible records in John 11 the first two verses this. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Jesus and his disciples were elsewhere, and Mary and Martha sent a message notifying Jesus that Lazarus was very sick. Strangely enough, Jesus did not immediately go to Bethany to heal Lazarus, but, as you'll learn later, there was a very good reason why he tarried. What Jesus said when he received the message was, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The Bible includes this comment in verse 5 of John 11. It says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, that's Mary, and Lazarus. Whatever the reason Jesus did not go to Lazarus's aid straight away was not because he didn't care. The opposite was true. He cared very much. My friends, let us remember this point when we ask God for something. Sometimes we wish God would answer our prayers straight away and we don't understand when we don't get what we ask for. Is it because God does not care? No way. God cares for us more than we will ever know. Well, Lazarus died. And Jesus then announced to his disciples that they would all go to Bethany. 
The disciples remonstrated with him because the Jews previously threatened to stone Jesus. And it seemed to them, that's the disciples, that Jesus would be walking into a trap. Before they reached Bethany, Martha met Jesus on the road and remarked, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And that's from verse 21 of John 11. Jesus replied, Your brother will live again. By this time, Lazarus had been dead in the tomb for four days. Still outside the town limits, word reached Mary that Jesus was on his way, and she also went out to meet him. Many mourners, including some of the Jews, followed her. And it's quite likely that amongst those Jews, there were some who had intentions to kill Jesus earlier. And the Jews grumbled among themselves, Ah, could not this man, talking about Jesus, who opened the eyes of the blind, also have kept this man, that's Lazarus, from dying? You know, while the Jews may be perceived as enemies of Jesus, it was very important that they were there. Arriving at the tomb, Jesus ordered, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who'd been dead, said to Jesus, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead four days. Back in those times in that area, it was customary to bury the dead in a man-made cave and roll a large circular stone across the entrance. The cave would not be airtight and there would be a terrible pong emanating from within. Now I'm familiar with the stench coming from dead animals. During the first day of decomposition the body swells up. By the second day it smells a bit, but by the fourth day, like in Lazarus's case, it really stinks. And if you need to pass by that decomposing body, it's best to be upwind. I don't think Martha needed to say that there was a bad smell coming from the tomb, as everybody nearby, including Jesus and the Jews who were present, could smell it. So what's the significance of that point? Simply this. Nobody could say that Lazarus was merely unconscious. He was really and truly dead. Now Jesus announced, Did I not say to you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? When they rolled away the stone, Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of these people standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And in verse 42, the Bible recalls, Now when he had said these things, he cried, Lazarus, come forth. 
and he who died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, that's the people round about, loose him and let him go. The record of the resurrection of Lazarus is a very important story as it explains a number of things. One of those things is that when someone dies, they know nothing. Their mind, their intelligence, sometimes referred to as their spirit or soul, does not immediately go up to heaven. You would have thought that if Lazarus had been in heaven, he wouldn't have been very pleased to come back to bad old planet Earth to face the hardships and drudgery of here again. You would have thought that he would have complained bitterly. But the Bible records nothing of this. More importantly, the resurrection of Lazarus was incontrovertible evidence of who Jesus was. He was God. You see, although Jesus challenged the Jews about their hypocrisy, that was not the main thing that got their noses out of joint. They were most concerned that Jesus claimed to be divine. They accused him of blasphemy and refused to acknowledge that he had power to give sight to the blind, to heal the lame and the deaf, to give hope to the hopeless and to raise the dead. All the Jews were thinking of was how to silence Jesus to get him out of the way. But the resurrection of Lazarus showed without any doubt who Jesus was. And it also showed that he was doing the will of his heavenly Father. There was no room to argue that Lazarus was not really dead. He'd been dead and decomposing. There was no room to argue that Jesus was some sort of magician. Magicians can't bring the dead to life. There was no room to argue that Jesus was doing what he did on his own bat. Time and time again, he explained to the Jews that he was doing the will of his Father, although they refused to acknowledge that. In fact, the resurrection of Lazarus had them completely stumped, backed into a corner, and without any answers. About all those Jews could think of was to hatch up a plot to kill Jesus. And if you care to look at John chapter 12, verses 9 to 11, you will see that the Jews plotted to kill Lazarus too. Then they could say that the whole thing was nothing but a cooked-up story, and not true. But with Lazarus alive, he was evidence of the power of God and of who Jesus really was. You see, in one of the previous resurrections when Christ raised the daughter of Jairus, he had said the child is not dead but sleeping. She'd actually been dead, but he said this because he raised her to life. Mark 5.39 is where you find that. Because she'd been raised immediately after she died, uh, 
the Pharisees had declared that the child had not been dead. They tried to make it appear that the miracles of Christ were not genuine. But in the case of Lazarus, no one could say that he had not been dead. The two main ruling groups at that time in Israel were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. The raising of Lazarus posed a real problem for them because it totally undermined their beliefs. They were very concerned that they would no longer be taken seriously by the people as the miracle Jesus performed show their belief to be wrong. Both the Sadducees and the Pharisees found themselves in the wrong. The Sadducees, because of their mistaken belief that there'll be no resurrection, and the Pharisees, because Jesus had proved by this miracle that he indeed was who he claimed to be, that is, the Son of God. So what did they do when they were convicted that they were wrong? You know, it's not uncommon for a person who's in a position of power and influence, when shown the error of his ways, to try to cover up his evil deeds, to hang on to his position. When, when the scandal broke about Bill Clinton, the then President of the United States, having an affair with one of his staff members, Monica Lewinsky, what did Bill Clinton do? At first he denied everything, saying that it wasn't true that he was the victim of rumour-mongering. Clinton was afraid that he might be impeached, that is, removed from the presidency. But truth is truth, and eventually Clinton had to admit that he'd been lying. And after the break, we'll talk about what the Pharisees did when they found they were in the wrong. Reveals to man the desire. 
Pharisees and Sadducees were faced with truth and like Clinton they sought to hang on desperately to their positions of power and authority because with miracles like this they saw a lessening of their influence because of what Jesus said and of course his other miracles too. Instead of accepting what they knew to be right and true And instead of accepting Jesus, they built walls of defence around themselves and made plans to get that troublemaker, as they thought he was, Jesus, out of the way. And sometimes in life we have to admit that something we hoped might lead to a positive outcome is a total waste of time. Sometimes we need to abandon those plans and make a new start. Who knows what an influence for good those Pharisees and Sadducees might have become if they too became followers of Jesus. Who knows what would have happened if they had humbled themselves and followed truth instead of denying it. In our society today and this might include you, there are people similar to the Pharisees and Sadducees. These people may know the truth, but either try to cover up their actions or do nothing about it. Maybe sometimes simply deny that truth is truth. Let me give you an example. When unusually inclement weather is forecast for the area where I live, 
My insurance company sends me text messages and emails warning me about the approach of bad weather. They suggest that in the case of strong winds to make sure loose things are made secure to prevent damage. How should I respond? Well, firstly, I could say to myself that they are lying, that there will be no storm and that I have no need to worry. Another response I could come up with is that the storm will not be as bad as they say and so I continue living as normal. Another response might be that I make preparations for the storm, unplug sensitive electrical devices, secure loose items and close all the doors and windows. The sensible response would be the last one. Yet, with truth as presented in God's word, I'm astounded by the response of many people, including some I know quite well. They seem to be like the proverbial ostrich and bury their heads in the sand, not wanting to know and not prepared to take any action. In my opinion, that's a very dangerous stance to take. When we know the truth, we should do something about it. Procrastinating, that is, sitting on the fence, will get us nowhere. This reminds me of what happened when the Apostle Paul spoke to Governor Felix, and we read about it in Acts chapter 24 and verse 25. The Bible says, Now as Paul reasoned about righteousness, self-control and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Felix was convicted of truth, but he put it off. The convenient time never came. Did he ever become a Christian? No. Would Felix ever be given eternal life based on what we know? No, that's not very likely. And I know that some of you might be just like those Pharisees and Sadducees and like Felix. You may know the truth as taught in the Bible, but possibly procrastinate, simply not willing to shift from your comfort zone. I fear for such people. You need to take the bull by the horns and say to yourself, I know what is right, and come what may, and with God's help, I will follow my conscience and do what I know I should do. If that means giving up some pet idea or practice, God bless you as you determine to do what is right. If it means becoming unpopular with those close to you, God bless you as you determine to follow the Lord. If it means reorganizing your life, God bless you as you make those changes. You see, it's the same for us as it was for the disciples of Jesus. Because Jesus said to them, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You can read that for yourself in Matthew sixteen twenty four and 25. The important thing is, are you prepared to take up your cross, to do what you need to do and follow Jesus? Are you prepared to do what it takes to follow truth? My friends, only you can answer that question. But I urge you to follow your conscience and do what you know is right. That's it for today. May God bless you as you determine to follow the Lord wherever he may lead you. And so until next time, I wish you courage and peace and joy.